Last week, we had started going through the evidences that we were seeing, some evidences of salvation in these Thessalonian believers. Um, I don't know if you ever think about that a lot as you look at your own life, as you look at other people. You st- sometimes it's so easy to wonder, you know, are they the real deal? Did they ever really mean the decision that they claimed that they made, or are they just kind of, did they have some emotional experience, and that's what they're basing their, their salvation on? That's a scary thing to me. Um, I know as I was growing up, I had numerous times where I made what I'll refer to as, as an emotional-based decision. I would have, and, and the guys are good at it, they would be uh, at different camps, I would, a camp I would go to, they would just have those you know, 15, 30-minute invitations and get you feeling guilty and you've got to come forward. If you come forward, you feel better, and that's success. That's not success. I, I want the Holy Spirit to work in people's lives and him to be doing the convicting and not me trying to drum up a response out of you. And God's a whole lot better at it than I am. And what we're seeing here is people who have made a decision for Jesus Christ and their lives are showing it. Now, David's gone through, I believe we should be around point three by now, so... What I want us to do is look at where we were last week. Last week we covered verse number 3, and we saw three evidences of salvation. I'm going to review those with you, and then we're going to look at um, a new text. But we, saw, we started last time the evidences of regeneration. And the first one we saw, verse 3, remembering without ceasing your work of faith. Faith will result in works. True faith always, always will result in works. The two of them go hand in hand. Faith is not just this, a, a, an acceptance of historical fact. Faith is us putting our trust, our dependence, us following Jesus. That's what faith is. So the, the, the synonyms we use, trust, following and it will result in works. And one of the phrases we use as we're going through that, we're saved by faith alone, but saving faith is never alone. It always has works with it. Your application statement there, true salvation will always be accompanied by a desire to follow Jesus. Then we looked at the second part of that verse, a resolute labor from love. Uh, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love. He doesn't clarify, Paul, Paul didn't clarify for us in that verse, that love that he was talking about, the recipient of it. And what we're looking at as we saw these, this verse was the idea that as, as we respond to the love of God, it is going to have a result in our love for each other. You cannot say as a follower of Jesus yeah, I love Jesus, but I just don't like any of his people. There will be a love for the people of God. It doesn't mean you'll all be alike. It doesn't mean some of them aren't going to bug us once in a while. But we will love the people of God. There will be a desire for that. Your application statement on that one. We're going to push on. We must selflessly follow Jesus, and that will result in sacrificially serving others. So it's never that inward, just an inward Uh, attitude, it will result in positive behavior. The last thing in that verse, uh, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. They had an expectation for Jesus' return. They were looking for it. They were wanting it. They were anxious about it. And when we have that mentality, and and it's, it's truth, Jesus, nothing is hindering Jesus from coming back today. As we operate in that sphere, it's going to change how we behave. It's going to change what our, what our lifestyle is. And they had that expectation, that expectation, that hope produced in them patience, endurance, steadfastness. 
Because they were looking for this return of Jesus, it caused them, it wasn't just the patience, like, okay, I'm going to hang on. It's that endurance, I'm going to press on, I'm going to serve my Lord because I know He desires this and I love Him. That's what, that's what Christianity is about. In your application statement, if you want to be more passionate about following Jesus, keep intentionally thinking on the gospel. So that brings us to this new section that we're going to be looking at. Paul had talked about in that verse, verse 3, he was looking at really, we might say, their character, what they were like, what, what was going on inside of them. He's showing them this is what they're like. Our salvation should not be based just on some past experience. We should not have to say, well, I remember one time I, you know, I went forward, I prayed. Whatever words you want to throw in, that is not what defines our salvation. Our salvation is a continual thing that we grow in, a sanctification. We should be having a, an active trust in Jesus Christ now. It should be happening today. We should be actively trusting Him. And if we're trusting Him, if we're saying, I believe what Jesus has said is right and I'm going to follow Him, etc., if that is happening, it will result in a changed life. People have, I've heard this question, this comment often, it's, um, how do I, I don't understand how, can, how I can change my life. It's not so much about grinning and bearing it and you know, making things change. It's about you getting your focus on Jesus. It's about falling in love with Him over and over again and following Him. It's about submitting to Him in these little areas. That's what we need to be consciously doing in our lives. So we saw these things that David had concentrated on in verse 3. And in the rest of this chapter, these next six verses, did I just say David? I meant Paul. Listen to what I mean, not what I say. Don't do that. Um, I, I meant Paul. I apologize. Um, I thought something didn't sound quite right. But Paul, Paul is going to look at things in these next six verses that he is he's saying, these are things that cause me to think you are the real deal. These are things that I'm seeing in your life that make me think you're truly a Christian. This is, just look to start with at verse 5. We're going to look at one word. The very first word, far. Okay, verse 4. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God, I know you're the real deal far. Because, here's how I know this. And that's what he's going to cover in the rest of this chapter. He knows because of these next six verses. These things that had been and they were present in these Thessalonians' lives. This is what I want you to get for today, okay? These are things that should be present in your and my life today. They've got to be there. These, these aren't optional Things that we should come in here and say, oh, that's a nice thing. It's a nice, you know, nice thing to say. We need, this needs to change us. We need to adopt these and be asking Jesus to work these in our lives and help us to follow him in this way. Okay, let's pray. Ask God's blessing and then we'll look at our text. Father, I thank you for your goodness. Lord, I thank you that you are totally in control. Lord, I thank you as we go through trials, as we go through hardships. Lord, you are there and you are working and you're desiring to transform us. Lord, help us to be sensitive to your leading. Help us to be open to having you change us. Father, I, I ask as we, as we take this brief time and look into your word, would you help us? Help us to understand it. Help us to internalize it. God, give us a passion to want to live for you, to want to follow you. And where that passion is not there, God, would you please convict us? 
Open our eyes to our need to, to be walking with you, to be holy as you're holy. Lord, I ask for your help as I look at and preach these verses. Please help my words to be accurate. Help me not to be a distraction. I pray that you would allow the truths of your word to be what is heard and understood. And God, change us. In some way, Lord, glorify yourself by our efforts here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we've seen the first three. The first three evidences. Now we're starting point D. Uh, This one is not so much when Paul is saying, this gives me a confidence in your salvation. This is more from his side of things. So we're going to start with one that's a little bit um, of an oddball, if you will. Uh, the point D, the gospel received is right. It's right. Verse number 5. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, and you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. So our gospel. This is looking again, things from Paul's perspective. Paul is confident in their salvation. I know that you're the real deal, and one of the reasons I know this is because he knew that they had heard the Word of God. They needed the Word of God to be presented to them. He uses this phrase, and I want to make sure we understand this, our gospel. There have been people who have, who have said... Here, um, there was Paul's gospel, there's Jesus' gospel, there's Peter's gospel. There's all these different gospels. There's not all these different gospels. They were preaching the gospel. There's the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he did for us, and that's what we need to put our trust in. So he's not saying when he says our gospel, he's not uh, saying there's different gospels out there. The truth that has been committed to him. The truth that has been given to him, he is saying, that is what I want to give you. It has been entrusted to me to distribute it to you. We're going to be seeing this in a few weeks, but look over to chapter 2, verse number 4. But as we were allowed, as we were approved of God to be put in trust, to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak. They were entrusted with the gospel by God himself. And God is saying, I expect, I'm entrusting you with this, so I expect you to represent me and to take this gospel and present it to people. That's the comment he's saying when he says, our gospel. Paul was not so concerned about the messenger He wasn't as concerned even about the presentation of the message in the sense of how um, eloquent someone might be, he was concerned with the message itself. That should be our concern. We need to be concerned as we are talking with people that we, we accurately give the Word of God. We should be concerned that we, as people who are entrusted with this book, We should be concerned that we not water down the gospel in order to make it more palatable for somebody to hear. That one is one that we've been guilty of in our country probably for over a hundred years now. We just want it palatable. We don't want to... There are so many who will not... just, Just this last week, I listened to a presentation of the gospel that really did not mention our hopelessness. It didn't mention that our sin separates us. It didn't mention the, 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 the hatred that God has for sin and how you know, we're doomed. We have no hope outside of Jesus. That's negative news. And it didn't mention as well that when someone comes to Christ... You are saying, and this got mentioned Saturday at our, at our men's breakfast. It, it, was, it was an awesome time. But it didn't mention anything about you are trading in being a slave to yourself to being a slave to Jesus. 
It's not just, oh, I'm free. I get to do what I want to do. You're saying, Jesus, I'm yours now. I want to follow you. It's not just, I want heaven. It's, I want Jesus as the ruler and Lord of my life. There is a, there's a big difference in how this is explained. And, and, and my point being, we don't need to water down the Gospel so people can just be more accepting of it. That's not our job. And at the same time, you don't want to water it down, but you don't want to make it harder than it is. Being saved is not, or coming, it's not a, a difficult task. You don't work for it. You don't earn it. We bring nothing. You've, you've heard this one too. You bring nothing to the table except our filth. That's all we bring with us. And then we get forgiven. It's a wonderful thing. We don't need to add anything to it. We don't need to tell people, you know, now if you really want to be saved, you need to be faithful in church services now. Really? It has nothing to do with your salvation. That's what Christians do. But we need to be not watering down the Word of God, not adding to the Word of God, and I'm using that phrase intentionally. There's not good things said about adding to and taking away from the Word of God. Let's be accurate to the Word of God. That is what Paul is saying. We, our Gospel came to you. We gave you the pure Word of God. And then he just let that Word do its work. We can trust this book. And that's what we need to do. You've heard this verse mentioned often. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by and hearing by the Word of God. And notice how Paul ties all this together. This is a topic again we've been discussing. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. This concept of God doing His work that we don't understand, that we don't... It's way above our pay grade. This concept of Him doing this electing work and the Gospel, the Word of God, they go together. God uses His Word... He uses the gospel to draw. There is a direct connection. How does it work? I don't know. God does a work and He uses the Word of God and we can be thankful for that. We're responsible on our end. Proclaim the Word of God. That's what's going to bring people to Jesus. Let God do His work after that. We, just be we need to be faithful in our part. And it's not just the words. Notice he says, our gospel came not unto you in word only. It's not just the words. If it's, you, if it's just words and if people hear the gospel, they get saved. Let's just get a loudspeaker, drive around, give the words, and everybody will be saved. That's not what happens. He said it wasn't just in words. It's not that his mouth, a bunch of words. He says, verse 5, not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, those two go together. The power and the Holy Ghost go together. So God is working through His Word. His Holy Spirit takes that Word, it ministers. He's using this. He promised He would do this, right? Romans 1.16, you'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You'll be witnesses unto me. He, 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 he told us this was going to happen. And Paul understood this. He knew that God had to be working. God is the one that has to be working if the giving of that Word is going to do any good. You can give the best presentation of the Gospel and it's, it, it won't work. If God's not working. And you can give a very mediocre, you know what, been there, done that one. You ever walk away from witnessing to someone and you're thinking, I blew that. Too often. You know what, God can use, it's not, it's not our words. And yeah, don't be, I'm not saying preach error and don't worry about it. We, be, we need to be accurate. But it's not our presentation. It's the Holy Spirit of God taking the Word of God and changing people's lives. That's what Paul was saying was happening here. We know, we know so many facts. And we just need to understand that these are accurate. 2 Corinthians, don't need to turn there. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. People are blinded. Those blinders can only be taken. God's got to take those blinders off. We can't. 
We offer the Word of God, and God Himself has to take off those blinders. So the, the Word is true. When God says, the Word of God is quick, it's living, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, it pierces to the dividing of soul and spirit, it just cuts that fine line. The Word of God is what can be used in people's lives. The Word of God is what the Lord uses to really do the work in someone's life. That's what He has set up. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. But we, we, we've got to remember, and I say this to encourage you, it is not our presentation. It's not our clever arguments. It's not us coming up with the latest, greatest illustration that's going to make somebody understand. God does this. God is the one that opens the eyes. No different when I'm preaching. It's not me coming up with the, the, the clever topics. It's not me coming up with the latest thing to address. God uses His Word to increase our faith. And He's good at that. He's the master at that. We just need to expose ourselves to the Word of God on a regular basis. So we need God working. We need the Word of God being presented. Both of them are needed. So what he's saying here is that they presented the Word of God to these Thessalonians, and God was working. So we have zero control. No control whatsoever. Very little control, I maybe should say it that way, over the Holy Spirit working. We can pray for that. We can ask God to do a work. We can beg Him for that. But we don't control what God does. That's His business. We do control whether we give out the Word of God or not. That is on us. And we need to pray for opportunities to do it. We need to pray for boldness to take those opportunities and share His Word. So let's do our best to be faithful in the areas that we do have control over, which isn't that much. But let's be faithful. So he says, again, our gospel came unto, not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. In much assurance. Paul and his crew, they were fully confident in the word of God. They're the ones that had the assurance here. We, they were assured that the Bible was truth, that the Bible was the power of God. They were assured of this. They were fully devoted to it. He's saying we're, the, the gospel they preached had already affected them. That's the last part of the verse, really. You know what manner of people we were among you for your sake. You know what we were like. Now, just keep in mind what's going on in this picture. You remember just before they came to Thessalonica, they had been beaten, put in stocks. And if you remember those stocks, that wasn't just, okay, lock your legs up. It was spreading the legs out and causing tremendous pain. Their backs were open from the flogging. And they got ran out of Philippi. They got strongly requested to leave Philippi, and they went to Thessalonica. When they got to Thessalonica, it's only a few days' walk. Their backs are still hurting. They're still in pain. They're probably still seeping from the wounds. And they're coming down and saying, what we just went through up here was all worth it. This is how serious we are about following Jesus. And you need to follow Jesus. Here's the gospel. You know what manner of men we were among you for your sakes. They lived the example. They showed what God had done in their lives. It is so easy to say the Word of God changes people. It is so easy to say that you, know, you need this book. You need what Jesus can do in your life. Talk is cheap. Talk is very, very cheap. My question for us with this, what, what does our daily conduct say? Do we really believe that the Word of God is power? 
Do we really believe that Jesus is worth following? We know the answer is yes, okay? We know this. What does our daily walk outside of here say? Is he worth following? What does our talk say? What does our attitude say? This is the one that gets me probably more often than anything. Why do I cop an attitude? If my God is so good, and He has forgiven me, and He's forgiven those around me that know Him, why am I getting an attitude? Well, it's because I don't believe Him. I think I'm really special. And you better think I'm special or I'll cop an attitude with you. That's not demonstrating Jesus. We need to be asking our Lord to help us communicate our beliefs accurately. Because we fail at this a lot. And that's why we have 1 John 1.9. We keep coming back and we keep asking for this forgiveness. Do we show by our lives that God has at some point in the past and that He is continuing to, which He does, continuing to transform us? Are we showing this? Are we living this? Or, around here we got a lot of this, are we just good old boys, good old girls? Are we just nice people that happen to go to a church? I don't want us to be just nice people that are good old boys and good old girls. I want us to be followers of Jesus who are seriously passionately involved in, in, in furthering His kingdom. That's got to be our passion. We need to show what we believe. Our application statement, let's show that we believe the gospel is the power of God unto salvation by proclaiming it boldly. That needs to be our passion. And then Paul, he mentions this is, you know, you've had the word of God, you received the Word of God. We're confident that what you received was truth. And so now he's going to move to here are things that are in your lives. Here's what you've been doing. So next one, point E. Your lifestyle will reflect Jesus. Your lifestyle will reflect Jesus. First part of verse 6. And you became followers of us and of the Lord. Emphatic word in, that, in this statement is that word, you. You people, I'm talking to you, you became followers. You're the one that showed Jesus Christ. You were following him. He's kind of tooting their horn. He's showing that you, you did a really good job. You became, you came into existence, something that wasn't there before. All of a sudden, it's there. It's a completed action that happens in the past. Now we know, if you don't know this verse, I'll encourage you, write it down. Go over and over and over it. Memorize this thing. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, what is he? Does it say one day he'll become a new creature? It says he is a new creature. He is a new creature. Is our body going to be changed one day? Are we going to be promoted, if you will, one day? Yes! But this verse tells us, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The moment you put your trust in Jesus Christ, instantaneously, you become a new creature. You become a, a, a part of the body of Christ. And part of entering into that relationship, part of having this, being this new creature, is that there should be a desire in us to want to, Ephesians 4.22, put off the old man, put on the new man. That never stops. But that should be a passion for us. We, sh we should be, then, now, future, we should be continually putting off the old man. When I am content with the old man hanging around, I'm not walking with Jesus. I need to want that old man crucified. I need to want that old man, and the example was given at one point, you know, we have you know, sin that we like to keep like a pet. 
And we want to tame it. We want to make sure that pet doesn't mess with us, but we, we're just going to tame it. We need to kill that thing. Sin must be destroyed. We need to put off the old man, put on the new, and that's what the new life is all about. And it continues. Now, I understand sometimes for some people it, it, it may be a little bit slower. Okay, I'm not, I'm not fussing about you're going to reach instantaneous perfection, okay? Case in point, when Paul wrote this book, most likely he was in Corinth. He had gone down to Thessalonica, they ran him off. Went to Berea, got ran off out of there. He eventually made it down to Corinth. It wasn't that long. In Corinth, he's dealing with a whole different set of people. Down there, 1 Corinthians, when he wrote back to them, 11 verse 1, he said that they needed to follow him. Be imitators of me. This is something you need to start doing. Be imitators of me as I am of Jesus. The Thessalonians, it sounds like from this verse, you became followers of us and of the Lord. They hit the ground running. Just where, the Thess- where the Corinthians were struggling, where they had to be encouraged, you know, come on people, step it up. The Thessalonians, they just they hit the ground and they were going. It was a really good thing. They became followers of us and followers of the Lord. That word followers is where we got our English word mimic. Imitators. We mimic people. And that's what we're supposed to do with Jesus. We're to imitate, mimic Him and those who are following Him. Now, it's normal. It's normal. If you've got a mentor, you see it mostly with kids and their parents. They just start acting like their parents. I've watched one who, not here, I saw the characteristics in the dad. He had this little... I don't even know how to do it. He just had this thing he did. That was just him. And all of a sudden, I noticed his son doing the exact same thing. He just mimicked him. That's what we do with people we follow. And he's saying, you need to follow Jesus. And I'm paraphrasing when I say this. Follow us as we're following Jesus. See, too often what we want to do is we want to imitate our leaders when they do wrong. It's so easy to, to get this mindset of, well, they did it, so it must be okay. And we just blindly follow it. See, this is why. Acts 17, you, the, the, we usually concentrate on the Bereans. The Bereans were more noble than who? Than these guys. They were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they searched the word to see whether the things we're saying were true or not. Well, that tells us that the Thessalonians, what they were doing was, they were just saying, okay, we'll follow you. We believe you. We're not going to bother going back and making sure you're right. The Bereans did a much better job than the Thessalonians did. That's not a good thing for the Thessalonians. And we're told later on, we're going to be seeing this, they had some areas they needed to shore up. They needed to be taught. They needed to be encouraged to do what's right. So they did. They weren't doing that great, the Thessalonians. So this is really a two-way challenge. Okay? And this, we're, we're going to start wrapping this one up a little bit. But the first challenge, we need to make sure that we, as we're following human examples, we need to make sure it's matching up with the Word of God. Don't just take for granted that because someone's in a position, we should follow it. We need to trust the Word of God. People are fallible. They're going to fail us every time. And this is what the Thessalonians struggled with. Now, some, we got the other extreme. I get it. Where, you know, I'll make up my own mind. I don't care what you say. Okay, you, you need to obey them that have the rule over you. And you need to follow those that have the rule over you. That's there too. But we need to search and then follow the Word of God. But the other side of this thing is, you and I should be praying. As followers of Jesus, we should be praying for God to help us follow Him so other people can follow us accurately. So that we can be the example we're supposed to be. We should be striving to live a life that's worth imitating. 
Have you ever looked back at what you're doing and thought, well, I hope nobody saw me do this. We don't want people to follow us when we're doing these things. We need to be praying for God to help us live a life like this that is worth following. And notice the area where where they followed. You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction. They received the word of God in much affliction. Now you remember when Paul came to Thessalonica. Paul was there for a while. We don't know how long. But he was giving the word of God and pretty much from the beginning there was persecution on him. The Jews hated him. They didn't want him in their lives. They ended up running him out of town. This, the affliction that I want you to understand with this, where Paul is experiencing this. That word literally means pressure. It doesn't mean beating. In this case, it implied beating. But it means pressure. If Paul was experiencing pressure, persecution, to the point that they would run him out of town, just... Imagine what the pressure was going to be like on these new believers who weren't grounded, who were wanting to follow Jesus. They were experiencing, according to this verse, they received the word in much affliction. So it wasn't just that they had heavy pressure, it was a whole bunch of heavy pressure. They were going through major struggles. Paul is intensifying it by adding the much in front of it. Do we ever have any of these heavy pressures? Now you've heard me say before, I don't think that we have major persecution yet in our country. There's persecution. And it's getting worse, and it's going to get even worse. It's coming. But everyone in this room that I look around and see, we've had pressures. Those pressures can be persecution. It can be health. It can be people attacks. Those are probably the worst ones. It can be financial loss. We can have all kind of attacks that come on us and everyone in this room to some degree has experienced some form of this pressure. Experiencing pressure does not make us praiseworthy. Everyone experiences pressure. We all go through it. You receive the word in much affliction, that last phrase, with joy of the Holy Ghost. There is the praiseworthy part. They received in the middle of all of this pressure, of this persecution they were enduring, they had joy. When the pressure came, it was accompanied by a joy that was produced by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost produced this joy in them. Even with their external pressures, they had internal joy. And it was independent of the circumstances. You ever been that person who, you're joyful as you can be as long as everything's going your way. But when things aren't going your way, you're crabby and you're nasty to people. I'm not pointing at anybody. Well, I'm, me. This is easy to fall into. The joy from the Holy Spirit comes independent of our issues. In their case, they had a joy that came because they followed the Lord in the middle of persecution. That's what the Holy Spirit wanted them to do. They were obeying as they submitted to the Holy Spirit's leading, which was to follow Jesus, as they submitted to that. They were getting the fruit of the Holy Spirit. They were having this joy that you and I can have today. Maybe, maybe the reason our joy is often so low is because our Christianity cost us so little. There's no price. It's an easy thing in our culture to say, oh, I'm a Christian, and nobody fusses at you really. Maybe that's why there's this lack of joy in our culture. So do you want it? Do you want the joy that comes from the Holy Ghost? I hope you do. If you don't, 
you know, you may not be, verse 4, you may not be the real deal. We should be wanting this joy that comes from God. Here's how you get it. Start walking with Jesus regardless. It doesn't matter what the pressure is. It doesn't matter what comes your way. I'm going to walk with Jesus. That's where our joy comes in. That is what the Holy Spirit is working in us. The Holy Spirit's job is to remind us of what Jesus said. That's His role. As we respond to His promptings, if you will, to remember Jesus, we will be producing that Galatians 5 fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now it's not just that okay, we obey, we get it. We're also to pursue it. Paul said, Romans, uh, Philippians 4.4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. That's a command. You're to be pursuing joy. Nothing wrong with praying for that. We need to pursue it. Your application statement, following Jesus will affect every area of our lives and cause total satisfaction. I like being satisfied. This is how Christians get it, is by following Jesus. Sometimes people like to talk about how they're sacrificing to follow Jesus. I had to give up this. I just love this. And you know what? It comes down, who's going to be Lord of your life? Who are you going to follow? If we love us more than Jesus, you win. You'll follow you. You're going to follow the one you love. If we're loving Jesus, that's who we'll be serving. Think about that. Last one we're going to look at today, the role model for other believers. Now, I separated, they go together to a point, but verses 6 and 7, I separated them out, but it says in verse 7, so that you were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. You were examples. Now, the first words, so that, so that, because you were following Jesus, because you made a conscious decision, a conscious effort, I'm going to follow Jesus, you responded to the Holy Spirit in the middle of your trials. Because of this, you were examples. You were examples. The word for were, so that you were Examples, that's the same word. Look up in verse 6. You became followers. Became, were, same word. This happened. It is something that occurred in a point in the past and it just keeps on progressing. You were, you became examples. When you become a follower of Jesus, like it or not, you become an example. Are you going to be a good one or are you going to be a bad one? But you become an example. This is what discipleship is. It's us showing Jesus to someone else. That's how people come to Christ. It's how people grow. And the word he uses here, for example, is the, the word is, is an ex, talking about an exact reproduction. It literally means to strike. So we know what that would look like. Taking a piece of metal, you got whatever that thing is called, a, a die, and you smack it really hard with a hammer, and boom, there's your reproduction. It's an exact reproduction. So it can be hitting that piece of metal to make a coin. It can be you know, putting your signet ring into the wax. It can be pouring hot metal over a mold and making an image. You ever see those? I never do them because I'm... I'm typewise. <laughs> it was, if you're seeing those things, you go to see a, a place that you like, you know, McNagara Falls, and they have this thing, you put in a penny, and then you put in who knows how many quarters. I just don't want to put in the quarters. Okay? I, I don't mind the penny, but I don't, I don't like the quarters. But you put it in, you, you crank or do whatever you've got to do, and poof, out comes a picture, to use that example, Niagara Falls. And you want it. You want that, that, that memory. You want that, uh, that, that image to come out. You want it to be a picture of Niagara Falls. You want it to look like what it should look like. Can you imagine going up Niagara Falls, doing your thing, and poop, 
out comes your penny. And instead of seeing Niagara Falls, a picture of it, it says, woke is awesome. I'd be ticked. I don't want you woke and awesome. Okay, woke is sinful. Woke is evil. And, and if that came out, would it be an accurate portrayal of what you want to see? No. You want to see accuracy. That's what we have here. You were an example. You were an exact reproduction of Jesus. That's what we're called to be. We're to be this example. We're to be the reproduction. And it says here that churches all over Macedonia and Achaia, I don't have the map up here. If you remember though, Thessalonica was in this cove. And it's just one place, one little big city in this massive area called Macedonia. And Achaia was down to the side of it. In all of this massive area, you, Thessalonians, you are an example, it says here, to all that believe. So these other Christians, these other churches where Paul had established churches, these people, they're looking at you, they're watching you, they're listening to you, and here's what they're saying. Whoa. Those guys are serious. Those guys are busy making disciples. Those guys are busy wanting to serve Jesus. They're talking to anybody and everybody. These guys, are, are they're following Jesus. This is great. They were so good. In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul used them as an example of people who gave financially to help the ministry and gave, first of all, of themselves. They were doing really good. They were awesome examples. Here's the point. He's talking to the whole church. This church in Thessalonica, Thessalonica the, this church was known for being followers of Jesus because they had a bunch of people in it who were following Jesus. When you've got people in a church, and I've seen both ways in our assembly before, when you've got people in a church who are worldly-minded, they are wanting to cause division, they're wanting to fuss about anything and everything, everything is ding, 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 ding. When you've got a worldly-minded church, this is what happens. It's just totally disheartening. It's discouraging. If you're wanting to follow Jesus, it's almost like, okay, I'm going to get the dirty looks, I'm going to get this attitude. Do we really want to do it? And it disheartens people. But you can have people who are serious about following Jesus come into a church. And, and, and again, using this example of the Thessalonians, in the middle of their pressures, in the middle of their trials, they're just following the Lord. They're going to serve Him. They're going to praise Him. It's not, woe is me. It's not, you know, I'm just, everything's so horrible. Our God is good. That encourages people. That lifts people up within the church. It makes people within this body want to join in and follow Him. That's convicting to me. We have that kind of a power, if you will, over other people just by our example, just by our following Jesus. So the question for us would be, how are we doing as a church? Whether we like it or not. And I know we're all made up of individual people. I get this. But are we helping this local body to be a positive example or a negative example? What are we doing? What, is, what, am, what am I doing? See, we're all dyes. We're all, we, we, we're that image that's going to get smacked and put into something. We are all leaving our mark. What kind of a mark are we leaving? What is your mark like on those around us? 
You're doing one of two things. Every one of us are either exalting Jesus or exalting this world system. We're doing one or the other. And we gotta ask, we gotta need to be honest with ourselves. God, which one am I promoting? Which one are are you and I confirming? We're, We're doing one or the other. A healthy Christian, a Christian that is following Jesus, will progress in their spiritual walk. They'll go from just being discipled to discipling, to making disciples. There is a progression that will continue in their lives. We need to be setting an example. Application statement. We are all examples. The question is, are you reflecting Jesus? Are you reflecting you? And that's a decision you and I make daily. Every day we'll be making this decision multiple times. The sobering thing is that our decision can have long-lasting consequences, sometimes eternal consequences. So we need to choose wisely. Can I leave you with this thought? Jesus is worth it. He is totally worth following. So let's give ourselves to him. Let's stand. If you've never become a follower of Jesus, you can be a good person, you can have a good impact on those around you, that's not going to help you make peace with the God that we've all offended. You need to put your trust in what Jesus did in your place that you couldn't do. If you'd like to know more, please contact me. Talk to me. We'd love to help you. Christian, what kind of a mark are we leaving on those around us? Are we making much about Jesus? Or are we busy just living for self? He deserves our worship. He alone deserves our worship. You do business with God as Bethany Place.